White Raiders, Laura Gaga here, also known as Reduction Raider. How you guys doing? Hope you've all had a good week. It's interesting, our next guest I met 15 years ago, perhaps now, and it's, um, I always sort of try and uh, marry up timescales with like, thinking about sort of what, what was my relationship with food back then. I mean, I can't remember much because I sort of think back then, um, my focus would have been on nights out, going out, partying. Um, but yeah, I mean, from what I do remember, I definitely wasn't vegetarian, vegan. Um, I can't imagine I was... Um, gave any thought in terms of reducing food waste. Um, don't think I was doing much by way of cooking for myself. Um, yeah, it's interesting, really interesting. But enough of um, sort of my relationship with food and how that has changed. Let's get um, our next guest on so we can delve into her relationship with food. So without further ado, Raiders. Hello. Hi. Welcome to our guest. Can you start by telling us a bit about who you are? Sure. My name is Pauline Joseph. I am the owner of AC Marketing Caribbean, which is a digital marketing agency that focuses on creating content for global clients trying to access the Caribbean. I am also a podcast host that came out of uh, LinkedIn. I'm very, very heavy on LinkedIn. Very, it's, it's sort of a weird thing to say. It's like the um, older people in the room. I'm not on TikTok. I'm on LinkedIn. So I, I, I do a live uh, from the Caribbean podcast. And I, again, focus on Caribbean people making a global impact. Athlete, which is going to come up a lot in this podcast when it comes to food. And finally, I'm the proud mom of a cat called Blacks. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I've got my baby cat, actually. He's sitting with me right now. My, well, he's not so much of a baby. He's a bit of a... Um old man now I'm thinking how old is he he's gonna be 12 this year and um yeah he is sitting with me as we speak he is my um (laughs) (laughs) co-presenter yeah and it's funny that you say about um LinkedIn rather than uh TikTok, you know, I guess we're sort of showing our age now when we're sort of talking about LinkedIn and and MySpace. And um but yeah, I mean it sort of sounds like a very different clientele. Yes, uh LinkedIn is more of a B2B conversation, which is for those who may not know. Uh, vernacular it's business to business and my company does a lot of business with other businesses as much as we engage with millions of people which is their customers the core of our business has to do with people who run these companies who are trying to get access to people online and it's been 
I mean, I've landed a client from a comment on one of my LinkedIn posts. I tagged the CEO and he slid into my DMs and a year later, he still paid me. So it works for me. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, because I guess when I think of TikTok, I just sort of think of dance routines that I can't quite master. <laughs> Tony, let's not even try to get into the mix because I feel like we'll just be sharing, showing our age. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. So you're a triathlete, you know, you're running your own business, you're a podcast host. Um but excuse the pun, let's get to the meat of it. What's your current relationship with food? Well, I was trying to deal with this um, uh, lockdown in my mind, having, you know, this mindset of everything will eventually be okay. And I gained a little over 20 pounds. Um, this is after... <laughs> This, this, let me just tack back a little bit. Um, in October 2019, I crossed the finish line of my longest triathlon, which is 70.3 miles. Um, this is pre COVID, and it, I was at my fittest level. I was a little, a little, um, under, I think it was 180 pounds. I, I'm not a small woman, you know, um, and I learned a lot with triathlon there. But when I came back, you know, and being somebody who loves to fly, not being able to do that, I was forced to redirect my energies with food. So um, late last year in October, I decided to, to do something about it. And I was able to go back to that weight. So I'm now back to 180 from 193 in um, October last year to 181. And it has been a journey because, you know, there's not much we can do on the lockdown. I'm in Trinidad right now and we have been forced to go back on the lockdown because we have another wave. And to put it into comparison, we are just as high as India, if you look at it per capita. Um, so with that said, now I have to figure out a way to, you know, not use food as an escape routine because the supermarkets are the only thing that's open. Well, well, so pre-COVID, you'd done your longest ever triathlon, uh, what, over 70 miles, you said? Yes, so 70.3 miles, which is a, a half Ironman. You know, you can't forget that point three, mate. Absolutely can't forget the point three. So, uh, you know, so it sort of sounds like, I mean, you know, you're doing a triathlon, you're swimming, you're cycling, you're running, you're living life, there's this lockdown. And then I guess the only thing to do is to eat and go to the supermarket. Yes. And to give you some context uh, in terms of how I was brought up, I don't like to use the word poor because my mother and father is very annoyed by it. But there there were days that I didn't eat as a child. So there are things that, you know, my parents had six children, have six children. And between Barbies and Trinidad, we grew up not having a lot of time. So I will never forget <laughs> uh, as a child, my biggest thing, this is me like about five or six years old by then it was three of us and there's this thing I don't know if it's similar in London but with Craven parents you you don't open your fridge because you let your cool out right and I said to myself as soon as I become an adult and I get to make my own money I can't wait to open the fridge whenever I want <laughs> these were my goals 
I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really interesting, isn't it? I guess how these things stay with us, you know, and it um, never ceases to uh, amaze me, sort of um, how our memories, our upbringing is really, really sort of indoctrinated in food. Yes, and it's interesting that you say this because I have a huge passion um, now that I'm, I must say I'm in a privileged p- position to have this discussion. But, you know, growing up, the idea of having fast food like KFC in Barbados is called Shafet because that is that is something that you must have winding specials, which Rihanna posted on her, her uh, Twitter one time. That's how important it is. But fast food is associated with rewards. So in my mind, doing well in school meant chicken, meant a bucket of chicken from KFC. And then you also tie that back into anything from a North America is better than local because that's what we were fed growing up. Wow, wow, wow. So I guess it almost became, doesn't it, in fast food is synonymous with success and achievement and doing well yes absolutely that and i i mean as much as i know all of this and i'm spewing this to you even within my mind i say to myself you know i had an instagram post a couple days ago i decided to go and jump on my bike for an hour because i wanted to have a glass of wine and some chocolate because that's my reward system when it comes to food well yeah it's um and I don't know you know it saddens me in a way as well that it's almost that we've got to this point that we sort of treat food as reward or that we have to earn it and I think we've all been guilty of it at some point you know I think there's probably going to be very few of us that have not been caught up with calorie counting at some point or sort of thinking well if I go to the gym then I can then eat this and it'll balance itself out and um yeah and I mean I haven't really got an answer but I guess it just almost makes me sad that we can't feel like we can just have the wine and the chocolate without having to cycle for an hour (laughs) well if you ever find the um (laughs) the 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 uh, thought process that will help us avoid all of that but it's, I think that's also hard because we're in that society where we're brought up you know as much as I I present this level of confidence with myself and my body because that I mean my friends told me that which I find surprising I also battle with this idea of what I used to look like because before triathlon I was a very very I can't I just can only say self-obsessed I mean I remember when I used to live in England I jumped on a, a bike I used to work at BMW and jumped on a bike and was on the highway for however long with um my hockey stick on my back because as far as I know hockey was just part of my life it started on my hand but um that also made me um very slim like as much as triathlon is a longer distance there's nothing that can beat running and obviously I was younger 
So I look back at pictures of myself and I was just like, what was I complaining about? Look at those washboard abs. And then I look at myself knowing, oh my gosh, maybe I need to do this and maybe I need to do that. And it's it's a it's a constant battle and, and having those battles internally with my mind while eating kind of loses the, <laughs> the the fun out of actually enjoying food. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you sort of touched upon this, but I suppose I'm... Um wondering how do you feel that your current relationship with food has differed from your past great question and it, and it's actually something that i can align with the change of my sports right so when i was playing hockey for about 15 years i was younger and i literally just ate anything you know coming from um a family that didn't have i mean there were times when we had to be picking out um stones out of the rice because we would get animal rice to cook you know and even those things I don't talk about a lot because I'm just like that's the past but even when I say those things out loud it's a form of therapy because we don't necessarily talk about it within our family and that's a whole other podcast (laughs) Um, but uh, I've been able to work very long hours hard and be able to afford certain things to now say okay I'm not doing um, hockey anymore. And again, triathlon is a privileged sport. Um, but from from growing up as a child to then playing hockey and just eating as many carbs as I want, not really caring and being able to afford it, that was a huge step for me. I was exposed to a lot of different foods because, you know, growing up, I was born in Trinidad. My mom's from Barbados and I went to about four to four five different primary schools and secondary schools so i have this tendency to want to travel a lot i blame them (laughs) and so what i've done is i've been able to be exposed to different um types of food but then i have a level of appreciation for trinidad food as well so from hockey i've been able to understand what food does to me when i join triathlon because triathlon is actually very nutrition based it doesn't matter how um well you are or how fit you are if you don't have nutrition you're going to fall down because that's like seven to eight hours of training basically yeah and i mean i really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability because i think it's sort of um almost what you're describing is how many different meanings there are attached to food you know and I guess when you're talking about sort of your upbringing the financial insecurity that came with food you know and sort of um the aspiration of I'm going to be able to open my fridge you know as and when I choose um and then I guess almost a sort of dialectic of being able to want to eat what you want when you want you know because um you know, you're clearly in a position now where, you know, you're working, you're successful, you're secure. Yet also at the time, at the same time, there's this complicated issue because it gets sort of tied up with body image and self-esteem and confidence and weight. And yeah, and it struck me that what you said about sort of looking back at your younger self, because I don't doubt, Pauline, that there'll be some point where you'll sort of look back at yourself today as we record you know and sort of think what was I worrying about gosh you're speaking truths there and 
it's it's really a journey it all ties back into the complexity of food is it has to do with you know our environment <laughs> we didn't choose to, to be where we're born we didn't choose our parents and then we have you know media who also plays an important part so coming from where i i came from growing up not having and then being able to have there's also this level of um what's the word it's denial because i was of the opinion that i could just eat right and because i have access to the funds to eat now i didn't know that i actually was becoming uh overweight <laughs> right because i'm also one of those persons i don't necessarily you know spread out to the point where i look a specific way as far as society is concerned um but i went to the nutritionist last in october and she was like yep you have the metabolism of somebody who is 20 years your senior and you need to do something about it and it's so interesting because that's not who i saw in the mirror i'm still seeing the little girl who you know as soon as she got a little two dollars went to the the um a little corner store to get you know, a little snack because you don't know when next you're going to get another $2. So it's just this <laughs> this weird conundrum of who I was and who's part of me, but looking at who I am now and being able to understand that food is actually just a, a point of sustenance. Yeah, so I guess almost sort of trying to find a way of balancing uh, all of those things together because food is also enjoyment and um sort of social and symbolic and meaning um but i hear what you're saying it's almost wanting to find that place of balance so you're not almost sort of yo-yo in between a sort of deprivation and denial to um the excessive Yes, and that social aspect is an important part in the Caribbean because we are social beings with food. We are absolutely, it's just, only when I went on a diet or when I would go, like when I'm training, I don't drink alcohol. Um, and that is just shunned, just like completely shunned from that. It's like, what? You know, uh, they'll ask me what I want to drink. I'm like, water. We don't, they don't sell that here, you know? Um and then coupled with the fact that we have this desire to go out and eat is something that I didn't grow up with either. So there's specific foods that I would say, okay, I would see my friends have at lunch and so forth. And I was like, I, I wanted that. So now I'm in a position to get that. No, I have to find myself <laughs> combining the, okay, this is what I can afford but is this something that my body needs at this point in time? Because that's what triathlon did for me. It taught me about um, using carbs based on your exertion. And it's such a science. It's so interesting to learn. But it changed my life because I was of the opinion that I needed to just carb up, right? So within triathlon culture, you carb up and you get pasta. But that doesn't necessarily reflect what your body needs. Um, and that was an important lesson for me to learn while I was training for, for the 70.3 and learning what time to eat and when to eat and also um, being okay with just eating what I want. 
Yeah. What? What? So, what do you mean? What? Why? Why do you think you would sort of wouldn't have been okay with just eating what you want because of just worrying about the weight and the body image? Well, for triathlon, the size, you know, your body plays an interesting part, especially if it's like a race that requires you to go up a hill. You have to have a certain weight because it's more difficult. Um, Yeah. And then um, how your body reacts. There's certain things like I suffer from acid reflux uh, and... Uh, you can't tell me not to drink coffee. Like, I remember your doctor was like, oh, well, you need to stop this list of things to test what's going to work. And I'm like, I'm sorry, these are sacrifices we all have to make in life. So this is what it is. Um, but it, it is a, a, a catch-22 of, you know, what your body is responding to and what your focus is on the time. And for me, the triathlon, when I'm training, is extremely important. I hear you with the coffee. I mean, sometimes people say to me, you know, like I, um, everything I buy food wise in my house is yellow sticker. So it's reduced price food or stuff that I picked up for free. And people always like, what would you buy full price? I'm like, listen, mate, the only thing I'm buying full price is coffee. Like that's the, that's the one thing I can't compromise on is, um, is coffee. And I hear you with the training as well, because, um, you know, I'm a runner and in the last year I've got into uh, ultra running. And oh, wow. so, yeah, I'm training for a um, ultra marathon that's 53 and a half miles. I mean, that will be the longest distance. And I think, like you said, it almost sort of becomes this thinking about what can you eat that's going to fuel you also that's not going to sort of upset your stomach that's gonna you know so I suppose you start looking at food from a different point of view as well because I'm now looking at food as not just energy on my run but to be able to do the training you know to be sort of waking up every day not feeling tired and also I've noticed sort of like on my long runs it's not just the sort of physical aspect from food but it's the it's mental as well I think it's the mental stimulation Mm -hmm. so I'll tend to eat every 45 minutes if I'm on a long run and there's almost sort of something because looking at when that next 45 minutes is and just sort of mentally I find so useful because I think you know if I'm going out and I've been doing some of my runs at like five hours and you can't you just can't look at I can't look at it as five hours it's too much so I think there's almost something in all right well in 45 minutes I'm gonna eat this in 45 minutes I'm gonna eat that and I guess it's um yeah, and it sort of just brings it home how multifaceted food is, I suppose, in terms of what we want for our physical performance and functioning and well-being, but also mental. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what about food waste? How does sort of food waste feature? What what do you do well in terms of um, sort of wasting less? Well, well, first of all... Um, kudos to you on that ultra i mean people call me crazy i'm just gonna send them your instagram account when they do that (laughs) um (laughs) but i'm not much of a cyclist this is why i do the ultras running i'm not much of a i was was trying to get into cycling um 
since lockdown, so I've been, I keep, I call them the Boris bikes, but I mean, they're Santander bikes, but they're sort of the bike, the bike rentals. So I'm going out on the bikes. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not at any sort of triathlon level. You know, to me, if I can sit on a bike and not fall over and die, it's been a success. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm going to touch on your food ways, but I I have to tell you this story about a nutritionist. When I first looked at, you know, getting somebody on board and, and, and going through stuff, and we were going through sort of the first meeting and she's asking me the questions, you know, um, and she was asking me about exercise because at the time I didn't tell her I'm after doing anything. So she asked me these questions about my weight and, and she's like, how often do you exercise? And I said, you know, I really haven't done much. It's been, it's been rough to keep up. I did a 5k uh, run and a 20k ride on Sunday, but I haven't, you know, and she just starts to laugh and she's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm not a nutritionist for you. You're an athlete. I'm going to hand you over to somebody who deals with athletes. Cause in my mind, I've just not been training as much. She's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you said, oh, I don't do cycling. Like, oh, okay, you're just doing a 55-mile run. Okay. <laughs> 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 <Contact>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and do you know what, Pauline? I think if I'm... I think that's almost been the learning curve as well. And I don't know whether... I mean, I can only speak from a woman's perspective because I am a woman and no doubt sort of men have this experience. But I do feel like there's almost this, um, there's this conflict because I think there's almost something like, especially when you do start getting into endurance sports and athletics, that, you know, you have to eat to fuel yourself and to function and to keep yourself going yet there is feels like there's this external pressure of be smaller be lighter lose weight you know so I feel like the two things are there at the same time as well when it's um yeah and again I don't have any sort of hard or fast answer but I just feel like it's um it's conflicted it's complicated and it's difficult Agreed, agreed. And, and and it really stems to society and the environment around us. And we also downplay a lot of things. And I think only maybe when we get on our deathbeds and we look back and we're like, what were we fussing about? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the thing is, isn't it, you know, life is... Um... Life is sort of so short as well. It's so short and it's... um. Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky, isn't it? Because like I said, you know, I think obviously there has to be a balance. And I get what you're saying when, you know, you're sort of worried about being able to sort of perform and health and whatnot. But um, yeah, it, it's tricky, isn't it? I guess it's also sort of, um, you know, like I saw a, I saw a quote the other day. I think it was on a meme and they were sort of saying, you know, if your pursuit of... Um, sort of a healthy lifestyle is causing you stress and it's no longer healthy and um you know and I guess that's sort of something that I've tried to hold in mind as well and um because it can be really really tricky you know like a few episodes back I spoke to um 
Amy from Temple of the Feminine and she was saying, you know, we're always in relationship with food. It's not something that you can come out of relationship with. Even if you choose to stop eating, you're you're still taking a relationship stance. So um, it's so tricky. And I think there's something about lockdown as well, not just lockdown, but like, you know, we've had this worldwide pandemic. There's been so much that's been outside of our control that's been uncertain that's been unknown and I think food then becomes a really easy thing to control you know because you eat day in day out and I think it almost gives us sort of a sense of control and a bit of a staple and you know and I don't know whether you've been working from home but I think sort of it's probably been more so for me because I have been at home so you have been able to sort of think about what am I having for breakfast what am I having for lunch what am I having for dinner and it's something that you can think about whilst you're existing in this time where everything feels sort of so chaotic yeah yeah I I I can see that because I I have real anxiety and control is one of the things that I can say, okay, this is going to be able to increase or decrease my stress levels. And, and food is one of those things that allows you to do that, or at least you have the perception of it. I also think for me, well, I had um, a roommate before and I just kind of left it. I didn't have any control over what I was eating. So I allowed that person to, to cook and I would just eat. And I realized when they left, because now I, I'm on my own and it's, it's, it's made a huge difference. And I didn't realize the same thing you say, relationship, those types of relationships affect your food relationship as well. Because I would say, you know, I'm not going to eat flour for a month because sometimes I find it can make me a bit bloated and they would just make me a sandwich, you know, and that's just like that that doesn't correlate with what my goals are and that is a huge factor when you when you're at home a lot of people are going to be with their family and have to be at home and that control doesn't feel like it's going to be possible because you have these different people around you uh, and I, I experienced it too with, with my brothers and, and having all the siblings around. You eat just for sustenance, not for anything else, because that's what you can afford. But in the all those things play an important role with your relationship on food. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess sort of thinking about what you were saying about sort of, you know, the feelings of anxiety and the need for control. And I suppose I'm sort of just reflecting on how uncertain almost food was for you uh, when you were younger. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that that question just triggered me there for a second. Um, yeah, that's that. That definitely plays an important role that um, the idea of being able to just go to grocery. Like I even have anxiety with not going to grocery with a list. If, if I remember I posted once because I decided to, to do it for the first time, go to the supermarket. And I said, I'm living life dangerously because this is not something I do. I want to have that control over what I'm actually purchasing. And now I do it for myself it seems pretty small but um sometimes i guess grocery grocery just without the list and it's it's almost overwhelming and there's this 
huge, I can't even explain it. Um, uh, sort of like a, a, a cloud in my head saying, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You don't have a list. And I just tried to do that to make sure like, hey, you know what? It's okay. You can afford it. You don't have a chicken or child. Your cat is fed. Everything's okay. So that, that as you said, that's actually a, a pattern that I created. Yeah, and, and and I think it is overwhelming as well, isn't it? You know, because I think sort of we live in a time that is overwhelming in the t- when it comes to food. You know, there's so much. You know, you mentioned KFC at the beginning. You know, and it's sort of so. I mean, what you can get KFC worldwide. You know, so it's like we have so much, don't we? So I think you have so much this food. You have so much choice that it can feel really overwhelming. Gosh, yes. And that that KFC conversation, because I'm in the space of digital marketing, I see people's behavior. And uh, (laughs) the top five visited sites across Trinidad, Barbados, and Jamaica. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. KFC is twice. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Smirnoff. Okay, interesting. Yes. Pepsi plays an extremely huge role, and I think that ties back into the fast food. And Pizza Hut. We have so many franchises in Trinidad alone. It is ridiculous. I I actually personally think they need so a lot of them need to be banned. Definitely regulated, don't they? You know, because I think sort of the way these corporations... Um operate i mean it doesn't actually surprise me because i think these things are not by chance are they you know they're sort of by implementation and marketing and their strategies aren't they you know it's um i remember reading this book and um fast food nation i think it was called and it was sort of talking about the rise of fast food and you know and these brands and and places like sort of coca-cola that would um you know sort of pay colleges to have coca-cola on tap within these colleges so you're getting sort of people um young people hooked on it from an early age none of this is by accident is it you know it's all sort of you know fought through by these big corporations Yes, and with the developing countries, which we fall in, you know, we just in the Caribbean and ourselves in my space, we're considered Latin America and the Caribbean. And we don't have regulations like how Europe and North America has. So we don't know a lot of the food that we get in the supermarket and from these fast foods. We don't know the percentage of fat. We don't know the saturated fat. Those That type of information is actually not given freely. Mm, mm, mm. and then I guess sort of coupled with what you were saying earlier about almost these sort of foods being markers of success and status you know it sort of stands to reason that people are going to want to buy them exactly that and you 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 have a lot of these corporations who have access to funding that small businesses don't have and that plays an important role to what is visible uh but we do have a strong (laughs) um 
we have a mixed community in Trinidad, so it's it's mixed up of Indians and Africans because that was the history from slavery, which plays also a very important role in how we see food. Um, and we have a, a, a food called doubles that's synonymous with a mixture of Indian and Creole, and it's it's something that <laughs> my dad would always say back in my day that was just a dollar. Um, now it's like five, six, seven, eight dollars. Um, that's TT, by the way. So that's a couple cents for you guys, um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's like 10, 10 TT dollars to one pound, I think. Um, uh, but we, we do have that strong food culture that it, it, it's, it's there, but it's, it's being overridden by corporations who have access to, you know, if you drive in on the highway and you. Uh, Pepsi, KFC, um, you see in that ad, you see in that billboard, it's that it's being, it's awareness. So you, you're thinking, oh, I feel in for Coke, which I do sometimes. I'm not immune to it. And that's because they have access to it. They, they even have a factory. Coca-Cola has a factory in Trinidad and Tobago. Wow, 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 wow. And I'm interested in what you were saying about, you know, sort of the connection with, with slavery. What what do you think is the sort of connection with slavery? Well, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> there's this theory, and, and I find it's, it's a damn good one, where they say, you know, our food in the Caribbean and, and Black people food is usually more rich. And that's because they got the scraps, right? So within the slave masters, you get the scraps, you do what you can with the scraps to make it you know taste good uh, and then from there you are creating meals necessarily be as bland if you just put sugar not sugar salt and, and black pepper but there's a there's a history with food and slavery because you were given whatever you had on the plate you didn't have a choice that's also tied back into the 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 paradox of choice as a child when your your parents get food it's whatever they had so that kept you know passed on to say eat what's on your plate you have no choice mm, 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 mm. really interesting and it's as you were talking it sort of just got me wondering about what you know sort of almost um generational trauma and what sort of gets what gets passed down Oh my gosh, yes. And only in the one of the positives to come out of the pandemic is the relationship with my mother. We didn't have a very good relationship because I always felt as though she wasn't acknowledging the trauma of my um, upbringing. And, you know, needless to say, based on this podcast, I have pretty strong opinions on a lot of things. Um, so she, um, she's been able to say, okay, yes, you know, these things happen and so forth. And she herself went through a lot of trauma and sharing it like trauma. She's just sharing it like, you know, God God found a way. God, this is the reason why, you know, God did this. And those types of things irk me because I'm not able to have a conversation about it because it feels absolute when you bring religion into it. But all those things, she, you know, there was trauma that she went through that we eventually experienced as well because she wasn't able to actually have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I guess it is. Um, it's so tricky, isn't it? Because I suppose it's it's the person's sort of their understanding of their experience, almost sort of their ability to process that, and almost what that then 
opens up as well and I guess it's um and it feels like sort of what we've been touching upon throughout is almost this um sort of dialectic of food being health and nutrition and enriching and sort of uplifting but could all you know but that can also sort of be traumatic and sort of stressful and difficult and um and complicated it's so complex exactly that and a lot of the times we're not allowed to have these conversations so it's not it's not even something we can work out because it's not being acknowledged and to go back to your initial question on food waste i am somebody who very very proud of the fact that i cannot stand i like i literally i remember i was sitting down in the lunchroom when i was working at the organization and this girl like literally picked the food and was about to throw it away i said what is wrong with you <laughs> kind of embarrassed her right and i said one of the things we have as children um with our parents my dad will say you know they have children in africa that want that food and I repeated that to her and she said, well, package it and send it to Africa. And I was just like, okay, you know what? That making a little sense. I'm annoyed, but I'm making sense. <laughs> but that was one of the tools parents use to make sure that we eat. Well, yeah. And, and you know what? I think it's a really interesting uh, point. And, um, and I think sort of I spoke about this, um, it might have actually been uh, the previous episode, sort of, I spoke about this holiday and being annoyed with my sister who'd wasted this soup. And um, and I remember sort of a friend of, um, actually, do you know what, so I was on somebody else's podcast when I told this story, but long story short, a friend of ours was sort of saying, well, I basically don't see the connection between sort of my sister wasting her soup and, you know, and somebody on the other side of the world. And I think there is this disconnect. But the bottom line is we're all connected, you know, because that food has to be produced. You know, there's labour going into that, you know, so not just sort of um, physical human labour, but, you know, resources, the land, these things are then... uh, transported you know so there's a huge um there's a huge link isn't there so if you're throwing something away if you're throwing away a meal you're not just sort of throwing away that meal it's all of the resources and sort of work and labor and you know an environmental cost that went into that agreed i i also think it's that complexity we spoke about earlier which is your upbringing you know my my bringing that that is still instilled in my mind my mother is one of those persons she'll use it tea bags three times because we we still have that i guess i don't know if it's a fair if it's just the fact that we just didn't grow up with stuff this idea of making sure food is not um wasted but a lot of times i find that people have so much access to things and we're not sitting down having a conversation as to how things are made you, you're just seeing people throw it just pains me to see people throw throw things away i really feel hurt by it and it's not like i was telling my mom she was here um a couple of days ago and i we were eating food i said you don't understand i'm so proud every time i cook something and it doesn't spoil because when things spoil i get upset too so when i cook it i i actually um measure out my food i have my bowls i put some in the freezer i put some in the fridge and i'm very specific to the tea that food is not wasted 
And I love what you were saying, you know, about sort of us almost being um, a bit more curious about, you know, what went into our food. How's it made? Who made it? How did it get here? Yeah, and that's where American culture gets it right because they tell a good story. And I'm going to get into my spiel as a business owner, but I really think that the Caribbean lacks the pride of our history and our story. But that's truth and in part to the fact that the people who know don't tell good stories. (laughs) So we are so consumed by American culture because we're watching the Marvel Disney movies. We are watching Netflix and we are at no point in time seeing the rich story that is the Caribbean and that influences what we eat as well. Completely, completely, completely. And I guess, you know, that also sort of feeds back to what you were saying earlier around um, sort of the connection between slavery and food, you know, because a lot of the cuisine and the meals that are being um, eaten in the States, they have their roots in slavery. Exactly. And we don't even recognize this idea of chicken. That, you know, this chicken watermelon thing. We know more about that than we know about our own history of why it is curry is such an impactful part of Trinidad. Absolutely. So, I mean, is there anything that you would want to do more of in terms of, I mean, it sounds like you're sort of very particular when it comes to not wasting food. Is there anything that you would want to do more of? Yes, I want to learn composting. I tried Okay, brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I failed miserably. I just bought this little tin thinking, uh, because my dad have, um, where we lived, it was pretty... um, there was like an outside, we threw everything out there, right? And it was uh, soil and stuff and it was rich and it was far far removed enough that it didn't matter. But where I live now, the soil is not as rich and I would throw stuff and nothing's happening. So I keep it in and then flies would come. I'm like, I can't win. How do I do this? Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I am pretty spoiled when it comes to that because we literally just have these food waste bins that you can get from your local council. And um, yeah, and I just get my compost in there and they come and collect it as they do the rubbish. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, it'd definitely be something interesting to look into uh, some more. One of my previous guests, um, Elaine Pilates a keen composter so um yeah she could definitely give you some tips on composting um i just sort of do the lazy thing of putting it into the food waste bin and it gets collected that's something i wish that we would do more of from a public sector perspective like our approach to garbage is just so we are horrible um but the the ease of things I think really helps to change behavior because what I do is I go to the market on Sundays. It's that's a big thing for me. I enjoy it. I love going to market and the specific people I go to, they see me like take that extra thing. You know, it's, it's a camaraderie that you have. And then from there, because I have um, so much, you know, skin from the vegetables and so forth. And by the way, I got this trick from a, a coworker years ago. I literally just, 
put my provisions, which is like vegetables. I don't know if that's equivalent where you are, but like the starchy vegetables and I, I don't even wash it. I just put it in a foil paper, cut it up, put some, um, uh, oh gosh, garlic, coconut oil, put that in the oven for an hour tops and it comes out and it is, it keeps the flavor. It's so good. So I just peel that um, and put it in the freezer and I have that set for a couple of weeks. Well, it sounds delicious. It absolutely is. But then I'm like, where do I put the skin? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm not one for peeling vegetables, so I would just eat the skin. Yeah, it definitely needs to be the composting. But I loved what you said as well um, about the ease of things, sort of making us do stuff. You know, if, the, if we can do things with ease, we're just sort of more inclined to do it. Like, I always sort of feel like any change that I've made at lasting or in the book, when um, it sort of felt, you know, it's felt easy enough to also sort of felt like the, um, the gains outweigh the costs. Agreed. I remember listening to, uh, I think it's Freakonomics, a podcast about business. And it was one of the uh, senators, I think, from Silicon Valley. And she made a good point. She's like, you know, we always hear about the Steve Jobs. We hear about all these great pioneers within the tech industry. But they're only able to do those things because public sector allowed it for them to be easy to do business and it's the same thing with personal what changes with with any society if the government doesn't make it easy then like we don't recycle like how you guys recycle in london um we have a big dumping ground that's a huge health hazard in trinidad and we still throw things out of our cars it's embarrassing to say out loud but um, our understanding of that connectivity that you mentioned earlier is far removed because people are too busy liking posts from KFC Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what KFC has some power over people, don't they? they uh, the colonel definitely seems to sort of... Um wholesome power and uh yeah i mean sort of growing up before i was um vegetarian or vegan i was a big kfc person i'm not sure what it is um that sort of captures you i mean again i'm sort of just thinking i wonder if it's something to do with childhood you know i sort of remember being a child and being able to eat kfc and i was a really fussy eater so um sort of my mum would almost let me just eat what I wanted, really. We had a KFC within walking distance. So I don't know whether there was almost sort of something around the nostalgia that you um, get caught up in it. And, you know, like what you were saying about sort of these billboards. Like when I stopped eating meat and I would see the um, sort of billboards and the advertising for KFC, you know, there was something that would draw you in. And then I would actually have to think to myself, is it actually the sort of the chicken, the meat that I missed, or is it something around this whole experience, you know, when it's sort of being wrapped up in, uh, that I used to, you know, that I've grown up eating it, the smell of it, it being there, sort of, you know, almost just being something very, very familiar. Agreed. That is 
hundred percent true because if if one thing that um disney's teaching us with this remake of every single movie is nostalgia is there's there's some financial value nostalgia right and uh when it comes to my visits to to barbados because i went to school to barbados and there's a fast food culture fet you know they it's very bajan and uh, every Trinidadian is going to cringe when I'm about to say, but um, they sell rotis, right? But it's not it's not a Trinidad roti, which is very unique. Um, it's it's basically a wet tortilla wrap, <laughs> right? <laughs> but every time I go, I need to get a beef and potato because it's not even. I don't even think it's a taste good. It's just you know I went to school in Barbados, my brick like being brought up there. Um, first kiss there, you know, all those things play an important role and biting into that somewhat chalky roti <laughs> is important. Of course <laughs> it is. It brings back memories, yeah. Absolutely. And so I guess the last thing that I wanted to ask is what food changes would you want to see in the world? Ah. <sighs> I will have to put it in the context of my country and I would say more knowledge around what is grown in Trinidad and Tobago. I learned through Sesame Street, an episode of Sesame Street, that we make pineapples all my life. And this was like like a year or two ago. All my life, I thought our pineapples was from Hawaii. I just automatically assumed that. And it took a PBS show to teach me because they visited the pineapple farms and so forth. Um, you know, I learned two weekends ago, we have something called wax apple. I, I went off for like 15 minutes. I'm like, what? Why didn't nobody tell me this? That's what I want. I want education about food that is like grown in Trinidad and Tobago because we're so reliant right now. We have a huge forex issue, meaning we don't have enough U.S., and our currency is useless outside of our borders. So a lot of the times we spend so much money bringing in stuff and our lack of branding, because that idea of, you know, the kernel, it works. Marketing mm. works. I mean, I'm going to spill mm-hmm. here, but as, a, as somebody in this space, it works because it provides mm. a story. It provides history. And we need to do that for our own stuff that we create. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Here, here. And it, you know, and it really does, you know, it's, um, it does. And I guess it's, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what more to say to that because you just sort of summed it up. <laughs> you summed it up so nicely. And I just sort of feel like it's, um, it, it, you know, it, sort of a common theme, you know, not just, um, sort of, you know, in the West Indies and the Caribbean, but, I spoke to Betty Licious, I think it was um it was episode three now and she's in Sierra Leone, you know, some of these themes were coming up there in sort of, you know, almost, you know, in, in being able to um sort of empower the people, you know, and empower the country because there is something around um feels sort of something quite exploitative about the West. Yes. Yes. And we we don't hold our ground. We don't, you know, we don't say we are good enough 
I experienced it in business where I was not allowed in the room because I didn't have the right skin color or accent. And it's the same way we apply our food. Yeah. And you know what? I wonder if um, we can almost sort of take some of that and as well sort of feed it into what was being said earlier around sort of body image and how we view our you know yep. and I mean it's definitely not sort of an easy process but I wonder if there's almost something that we can take where we have that message of you know we are good enough yeah that that's a tricky one and and you're definitely right it's connected every single thing is if there's one thing that we can learn from this lockdown is we are all connected there is no way there's enough evidence for us to realize that we are one species <laughs> yes 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 absolutely i'm um, absolutely you know sort of you know even though we might be showing our age with linkedin when can we ever sort of think of a time you know that sort of in our lifetimes that this attitude happened and affected us all on such a global level you know that you've got sort of people country to country talking about lockdowns Absolutely. And that ties back into our history. You know, the fact that, you know, Meghan Markle had this expose interview. I I can't, like, it's pretty life for me. I'm like, why is this a shock to everybody? The entire dynasty was built on racism. I, I, I don't find this shocking. And we are connected. The West Indies is connected to that. And all those things are connected to how we view ourselves and how we eat. And you know, and it's it's difficult, isn't it? But it's um sort of think you know the whole Meghan Markle situation and the interview. I mean, you know, that was sort of very triggering for me. You know, sort of um sort of being a mixed race and black woman. You know, and it's uh, you know, and so I think there was a lot of stuff that hit home, and I wonder whether almost these um. I wonder whether there's something because, you know, sort of in some ways, um, she should be very far removed, you know, she's still, you know, she's a member of the royal family, she's American, you know, she has the success that I don't, you know, sort of, in a lot of ways, we're very disconnected, but actually sort of... um, you know, sort of based on her race and the sort of complexities um, of, you know, around sort of identity and dual heritage. There's a lot of stuff that went on there that hit home, you know, and I think, and also in terms of um, covert and over racism. So I think mm. there was a lot of things that people relate to. And I think that there almost becomes this, this denial of what of what's going on within a royal family and sort of the roots of racism, because I think to almost acknowledge it, there is something about somebody having to acknowledge um their own racism as well, you know, and I and I think that becomes very tricky. So mm. I think it's, um, so whilst you might get, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, sort of Sarah, who is white middle class from up that sort of says, that does it on the surface, you know, can't really relate to the 
Emily because you know she's sort of your average Joe but I think there's almost a connection there she was to start to acknowledge that um you know like you said the sort of you know royal family being coming from this sort of history of racism and colonialism and slavery you have to start questioning the racist within yourself Mm. you Mm. know so what so so, so you know that's a field that the denial comes from that's interesting because uh, i don't know maybe i because i love to read books and i read books from things that i wouldn't necessarily have any connection to realize there's a connection there and from the wedding to to the oprah interview all i saw was a family that built their their whole dynasty on slavery like you're walking on the aisle with a wedding gong that was built on a, a family that went to countries and pillaged, you know. So for me, I, I I understand there needs to be that expose, and I think that's important. But it's just so interesting to see us almost like in shock, and I'm just like, is this a case of people just need to see this visually for them to then change? Because that's what I was confused about. Like, why is this? Is there something so they can now internalize it, that colorism exists, that racism exists, that that's what I'm confused by. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's, um, it, it's tricky if there's almost something um, that feels shaming, you know, so I think, you mm-hmm. know, so I think, you know, shame is a very powerful emotion and I think for somebody to sort of have to um I think for us to you know sort of start to question the prejudices we hold you know sort of um sexism racism you know I think that can be a sort of very shaming process so I think it becomes much easier to deny I think people Mm. also then then don't know what to do with that I think perhaps as well um there's a huge enormity with it and I and and you know what and I think also as well I think sort of as you know human beings like things that fit very nicely into boxes you know so I Mm -hmm. think it's almost like well you know there can't be any sort of racism that exists there because you know why was she allowed to marry Harry you know so I think (laughs) it almost has to sort of fit into this nice box and I think people struggle with the nuances and I think sort of people um struggle with not having a clear-cut answer hmm well that's fascinating because that will definitely tie back in the conversation around food because uh, you know there's never a clear cut as to our our we are all a summation of our environment you know choices to me is also a paradox this idea of choice you choose to do something but were you given the choice in the country that you're you're born in because i am less likely to have education if i was born in india you know so i'm more likely to understand the nuances of KFC because I've decided to read, but I have always loved reading since I was a child. So my brothers and sister, my friends always laugh at me. They're like, you sure you weren't adopted? I swear to you, when I was a child, not even child, when I was like teenager, probably 12, 13, I swear my parents were going to come to me, come for me. They're going to say, you know what? We all were switched at birth. 
and <laughs> we're gonna get you and we're so sorry we had to leave you and that that to me is is a complex conversation that i don't think we have enough of and a lot of the times because i'm in a religious space the absolute is a higher being and i just need to shut up basically and you know what and i think and i think you're right pauline that i think you know that that actually is coming out when it comes to sort of food when it comes to our relationships when it comes to sort of sense of self like you said you know the sort of concept of choice that i think there's not a straightforward answer you know and i'll admit i almost sort of felt like i would you know sort of start the you know I start up this podcast and it would be the very sort of um quite almost sort of clear-cut um answers around food and yeah and I do that well and I want to see more of this you know and actually I think what I hadn't sort of braced myself for you know because I sort of started this podcast of course to sort of talk about food and food waste and to talk about our relationships but I don't think I was really prepared for um for, for some of those discussions because actually sort of what's come on the back of that has been sort of conversations around um you know that actually there can be sort of you know the positive and negative connotations attached to food you know sort of the difficulties in terms of um sort of body body image way sense of self self-esteem I think something around as well you know like having sort of been a the pandemic and sort of lockdown and how that has then impacted people's relationships with food and um so yeah so I think it it, it is so uh, so complicated you know and it's been it's been really tricky because I guess as well sort of you know I've had people on the podcast like yourself and sort of you know it's been really female heavy so I've had a lot of sort of wonderful women doing some incredible um sort of things and something that keeps coming up has been around sort of self-image and weight and you know and sort of food being tied into that and it's been really tricky because I guess for me the sort of the temptation is almost to be like um oh I wish you wouldn't be so caught up on caught up in that but then it's also tricky because I'm there as I'm also you know one of these women as well you know so it's um it's really really tricky and I guess it's almost like I said you know I I don't have any absolute answer I think it's almost just um having these conversations sort of being able to reflect and sort of having quite an explorative approach to sort of you know what's going on here what's the meaning you know and almost um yeah and I and I think I think sort of you know to be honest when it was the wedding I didn't actually take that much interest in the wedding and but I think you know and but I think sort of or maybe for similar reasons, I think I didn't take that much interest in a wedding because um, I think it sort of triggered some quite angry feelings, mm. you know, that mm-hmm. almost, um, yeah, that I just sort of wasn't convinced by it. Like you said, I definitely sort of felt there were still issues of colorism, you know, and it's, and again, it sort of felt complex because, you know, I just sort of feel like throughout history, there's been this um, fetishizing of women of color. 
mm. as well. So it sort of made me feel how much is that going on? So I almost sort of withdrew from it, really. I never watched the wedding. I didn't take part in it. Well, obviously, I didn't, wasn't there, but I mean, I didn't <laughs> sort of, I didn't watch it. And But with, with this interview, it, so, and maybe as well, because there was sort of the lockdown, so you were seeing so much of it on social media that I did feel really, really triggered. I had to sort of think to myself, what what's going on here, Laurie? You know, because it's not just about Megan, but I was thinking, you know, because actually some of the experiences resemble, you know, and I think that was almost what was really painful to watch is that she was having her experiences of racism denied, you know, and I mm. think, and I don't know that, you know, I don't think there's anybody, um, no non-white person, you know, would not have experienced that at some point, you know, of sort of having their experiences of sort of racism and injustice being shut down, denied, closed off. Yeah, and it's a combination of racism and sexism, which is it's, it's a deadly ism combination. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's... um. You know, and like I said, you know, I don't know that, that, you know, there's no sort of almost like hard or fast, but like answers. But I think it's almost, um, I guess, that perhaps when it comes to food in the same way of maybe, you know, sort of Megan is, you know, sitting opposite Oprah. And I'm sort of thinking, OK, Lord, what's going on for you? Why is this hitting such a nerve that almost perhaps that needs to be sort of some thinking around food when it comes in that way you know almost sort of that curious approach if it's that we are sort of eating to excess or we're denying ourselves or we're wasteful it's almost having to sort of think hmm what's going on here you know this is sort of information that's communicating something yeah and to have the emotional intelligence to recognize that you're being triggered because that that is something that I don't think people understand because you're so you know, you've created a life of never acknowledging that there's something wrong, that you don't even know when there's something going wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's people sort of vary in emotional capacities as well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this this session we've had, I mean, <laughs> it was a good little therapy session. I didn't have to pay any money, so I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go (laughs) there you go oh but you know what Pauline it's actually been um, you know I had no sort of real idea of what to expect from us sort of sitting down chatting and um, but I've loved it actually it's been a really really interesting conversation what's so funny is who would have thought that my decision when I was in my early 20s to jump on a plane to go and experience London for two years come back and 15 years later I'll be having a conversation with somebody I met that long ago (laughs) I know I know it is um it's absolutely crazy you know it's uh absolutely crazy and I guess like you said it's sort of just um makes you sort of think of how we are connected because I mean what you know how many years ago would it have been then like gosh that was 15 or 16 years ago I think 
you know, it's um, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, when um, I'm gonna have to sort of do some thinking and sort of think <laughs> back to what my relationship <laughs> with food was like then. I think probably hard and fast. Really, it was. Uh, yeah, definitely a bit of a hard and fast lifestyle, but um. But it's been amazing talking to you and it's been amazing, to, um, you know, you're sort of doing incredible things when it comes to business, when it comes to triathlons, you know, and um, sort of repairing ruptures in relationships and sort of, um, you know, including a relationship with self and, yeah, it, you know, it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I admire what you do with your yellow sticker. It's something that I, I actually wanted to create an app for it in Trinidad, but nobody would take me on. I did a, I remember I did a sort of one of those shock tanks where I said, I want to do an app where people go around and whenever they see a buy for one special, they'll put it up. Nobody believed that it, it would work, but I never pursued it. So when I saw um what you do and I was like, this is such a cool idea. I wish that people were a little bit more giving when it comes to information because supermarkets are a little tricky. <laughs> Well, watch this space, watch this space, you know, you never know. Uh, give it another few years and we might be recording a podcast with you saying, you know, that app I mentioned, it's up and running. <laughs> Crossing my fingers and toes for plenty of time. Well, keeping fingers crossed for you, Pauline. Look after yourself and look after your kitty cat. Thank you, you too. This was really a fun time. This is a good mid-afternoon pick-me-up. Oh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. <laughs> a real pleasure to have you. All right. Thanks a lot. No worries. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, Raiders, I really had no idea what to expect when... Um, sat down to talk to Pauline I mean I knew for sure we would be talking about her competing in um, triathletes but I didn't know that we would be talking about sort of our attachments and upbringings and vulnerability and racism and slavery and the royal family and Meghan Markle and yeah, I mean, I can't thank Pauline enough for um, such a meaningful, raw, thoughtful episode that was, um, it was powerful. And yeah, I did say, sort of, I think in one of my earlier episodes, you guys are coming along with the podcast as the podcast comes along. So it's only taken me, I think, two months to say this but if you like what you heard if you've enjoyed the podcast um please leave me a review uh, give me five stars share it subscribe and i hear that these things get your podcast noticed so until next time raiders have a good week take care bye